0: nationality, every religious affiliation, the unborn, that they all matter so much. They're all so significant. Help us be a people that affirm life, that defend it, that promote it, that help those that are struggling in it. Would you help us with your word this morning now and show us wonderful truth. Walk us into the light as we've sung this morning, as we look at your word. Lord Jesus, you are the light. We look forward to spending some time with you now. So please help us. Walk with us in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn to John chapter 9? <clears throat> I think every year when it comes to sanctity of life, I, there's just so much to say. There, there's so many different ways we can talk about this. And, and I'm always asking the Lord, like, what, what is it this year? What should we look at this year? What kind of life should we celebrate this year? Uh, last year we looked at uh, the end of life, we looked at euthanasia, we looked at um, how life is sacred even in the end, even with suffering at the end, life matters. And so, so that was last year. This year I want to look at it from a, different, a slightly different perspective and that is in John chapter 9, uh, 1 through 7. Take a look at it with me. Uh, We'll start in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. All right, let's dig in a little bit and understand what's going on here. Um, So Jesus and the disciples are traveling, and and as, as they're going along, they see this man, and he's blind. He's been blind his whole life. He's never seen anything. And the disciples probably miss what should be an opportunity to show compassion and, and do something. Jesus is like, I'm the light, and we're, we're, we're going to do something here. But, but they see it as an opportunity for a theological debate. Look, there's a blind guy, so who sinned to make him blind? What happened there? Uh, we, should never, we should never get so uh, connected to the Bible that we take it away from the reality of what we see in front of us. You know, if our, if our nose is in the Word, the next thing we have to do is lift our nose from the Word and say, what's going on around me? What can I do with what I've learned? How, how is this supposed to change me? How is God shaping me? But they're, they want to get into the discussion, why is that guy blind? And I think it's, it's shocking to me because it's like, these are the disciples, they've seen Jesus do miracles, but at this moment they'd rather talk about the blind guy than do something for the blind guy. But let's engage with them for a minute. Let's, let's do this. I mean, they said, Rabbi, who sinned? Let's, let's go with them for a second, because Jesus does. Why would they have thought somebody sinned? Isn't it the question that you ask sometimes? The question that maybe you would never say out loud, but you say it in your heart? The one that you don't want to say it because it sounds bad and it sounds like it might be real? But it's the question you ask Who did this? Why was my child born with this? Why did this happen to me? There's those times in your life where, where there's an event and you mark time as before that event and after that event because that event is so significant, maybe so painful, but it, there's that event and there's before and after. Who sinned is the question you silently ask yourself. Did I bring this on? Did God do this to me? Just last week, no, maybe two weeks ago, I I was in Illinois, Christmas break, and uh, a young man who interned in youth ministry with me wrote me, and he had a list of all of these things going on in his life. Health issues, job issues, home issues, Where are we going to live now? He's newly married. All of these things. And he's like, you know, a few years ago I didn't have any of these problems. And what he was doing, he was trying to figure out what was he doing a couple years ago that must have been right, because whatever he's doing now must be wrong, because in that wrongness God must be punishing him and trying to get him to do things the way he was doing them a couple years ago. I mean, you you see the sense, right? What we want to do is we want to see our sickness, or our disability, or our issue, or that event, and draw a line to some sort of sin. If we can make the connection, we can make sense of it. And it sounds like a foolish thing to do, because it's not like uh, we can... We can like find out the answer and, and, and it's like, oh look, this connects A connects to B. Like like there's no like the Bible connects things all the time, but that's like biblical truth. That's like inspired word of God. But we try to make those connections and we don't see how sometimes how foolish that is to say that this has to connect to this. My sin has to connect with my sickness. It just my sin has to connect with this disability. It just has to be. Personal sin, I mean it. I mean, in general, sickness does come from sin because, right, Adam and Eve fell in the garden and that entered sin. The creation groans. Sickness is the result of the fall. But I'm talking about personal sin. You know what I'm saying. Personal sin. And so I wrote to my friend and uh, that day and tried to explain this as, as well as I could texting. Um I was in a mall, I think, at the time. So I sat down in one of those seats that massage you. Um, I didn't put any money in. I I, I didn't get the massage. (laughs) But I was, yeah, you believe me? (laughs) And I was texting him, you know, and and I just tried to say, if that's our conception of God as the Father who punishes us, then we've all got a lot of punishment coming, don't we? Like, if that's really the way it works, if every time I sin, then this happens, then I might as well stay home and and, and not try to go out, because something's going to happen. Where did they get this idea? Rabbi, who sinned? It's a good question, because we struggle with it. Who sinned? Can we put up Deuteronomy? Maybe they got it from Deuteronomy. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Uh, He's talking about uh, worshiping idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And and here's the passage. Here it is. Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, that verse 9, that's the one. There's a lot that's been said about this. If you Google generational curses, they'll take you to this passage. <sighs> Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers. When you read that, it sounds like, it sounds like it's saying that my dad sinned in a certain way and God's going to make me pay for it and my kids pay for it and my kids' kids pay for it and maybe their kids too. Because of the sin of my dad. Or if I sin, my kids will pay, and their kids will pay. There's another passage in Deuteronomy, though, that sheds light on this. You've got to know this passage to know this, this Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 24 says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children for the death of their fathers. Each is to die for their own sins. So there is a principle in the Bible that says, You pay for your own sin. And other people don't pay for your sin. So how do I reconcile these two things? By the way, that's still Deuteronomy, if you didn't notice. That's Deuteronomy, same book. God will punish the children for the sin of the fathers, and then you get this. I don't believe they're at odds. This is how I would explain it. Children, often, children are born with a sinful nature. You know this is true. <laughs> Don't need to prove it. You know it's true. And what children do is they often carry on the sins of their parents. You also know this is true. How can it be that... The child growing up in the family of an alcoholic says, I will never do that. I will never be that. And yet they become that. How can that be? But you know that happens. You know the stories. And I could tell others. The children often carry on the sinful behaviors of their parents. Now, of course, all parents pass on sin. They all pass on a sin nature. Unfortunately, we've all done that to our kids. We also can pass on sinful behaviors to our kids, even teaching them how to act in that way. Now, I'll stop there. I'll stop with my examples. But Number two, though, it seems that children are also punished for their continuing rebellion. Do you get that? So if, if the children sin the way the parents sin, then God would be right to punish the children... Just like he would punish the parents. Does that make sense? So if I do what my dad does and he was punished, then I should be punished too. I'm carrying it on. And, and the word is punish. That's a hard word. I want to deal with that word in a second. But um, if the children carry it on, then God rightly punishes them to the third and fourth generation. That's my best understanding of how you fit Deuteronomy together and not say that God somehow says, hey kids, you're innocent but i want to make you pay anyway that idea of god i i can't i don't see that in scripture that i want to make you pay anyway even though you're completely innocent in fact i'm going to do evil to you even though you're innocent that is not god so but i think that was what the disciples misunderstood somebody had to have sinned for this man to be born blind was it him or was it his parents? Who sinned, Rabbi? <clears throat> we also have a misunderstanding today when it comes to the sanctity of life. And that is that children born with disabilities, ought, we ought to try to stop that as much as we can. Um, I was trying to find a solid statistic for... Um, abortion with those with disabilities, abortion of those with, like, Down syndrome. They say that half of uh, pregnancies in the United States are, the estimate is, half of pregnancies in the United States are unintended. And of, those, of that half, four out of ten of that half end in abortion. Four out of ten of the half of unintended uh, pregnancies and an abortion. And as I was trying to find a solid number, a solid estimate, like how many kids <clears throat> in the womb with disabilities are aborted? <clears throat> On the lower end, boy, I need water. Thank you, somebody. <clears throat> On the lower end, I found the number 66%. On the higher end, the estimate was 90%. I find that unimaginable. I hope it's not 90%. But that seemed to be the range as people try to estimate how parents-to-be parents then, at that moment, deal with the coming of a Down syndrome child, a child with disability. I read that... There was my voice again. I read that um, in Ohio last year, they put forth a bill it was signed into law that is now illegal to abort a Down Syndrome child. It is illegal. Unfortunately, you can't enforce that law because... Thank you, Christy. You can't enforce that law because you'd have to have a doctor report to the police that a parent only aborted the child because of that disability. You'd have to have some sort of proof that their motive was that motive. And it's incredibly hard to prove motives in that case. They could say, well, we didn't want a child anyway. We couldn't financially take care of it. There's a list of reasons they could say instead of the disability. It wasn't the right timing. So it's probably almost impossible to enforce that But I applaud it because it sends a message. It sends a message to parents that even though we can't enforce this law, you should know it's morally reprehensible. That's what they're saying. You should know it's against the law, even though we can't possibly take action on it. Here's what we misunderstand in America. That disability, in this man's case, blindness, is a way that God will receive glory. It's a way he'll receive glory to himself. Let me say it like this. Um, Jesus said that the works of God might be displayed in him. We can pull that slide up. Jesus said... Neither he nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What does that mean, the works of God might be displayed in him? Well, let's get very specific, because that's the best way to handle the text. Very specific here. We could say, specifically, God will show his power and grace through healing. He shows his power and grace through healing. God can give sight to the blind. That's power. And when the disciples were talking about, like, who sinned, Let's have a theological debate now. Jesus, you know, Rabbi, tell us. Jesus was like, no, we're going to take care of this man's blindness. That's grace. That's mercy. That's compassion. God will show His power and grace through healing. Can we get more general than that, though? We can. God will also show His power and grace through no healing. Until heaven. Right? I mean the same principle is true whether or not God heals. He doesn't have to heal to show the exact same thing. That God is going to show his power and grace for the one who is disabled and doesn't get healed in this life. That was Paul, right? He had a thorn in the flesh. I don't know what his thorn was. He says, a messenger of Satan tormented me. Uh, we don't know what it is. I, probably my, my guess is it was something demonic that was happening to him, messenger of Satan. I take that kind of literally. But I don't know. Some people think it was his eyesight going bad. He, he said one time, I write with really large letters. You know, Maybe, maybe it was his eyesight. <clears throat> but I know, God said to him, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient. This is what the disabled had to teach us. That in weakness, God is strong. And God's compassionate grace is fully on them. That's what they had to teach us. That's what the disciples misunderstood. This man's blindness from birth happened to the glory of God. And so, those kids, those adults with Down syndrome, have it to the glory of God. Disability is to the glory of God. And He wants to reveal Himself in it. And I love that. I love that. So, as I said earlier, it can be dangerous to draw a line from our sin to our sickness. That's a dangerous thing to do. Got to be careful. But let me try to help you understand that whole idea of um, how how do they relate. Do they relate at all? Should we ever think about how they relate? Um, Hebrews says God disciplines his kids. He's a loving father. So when you have something happen to you, and you believe it is God taking action to get you to repent from a sin, You ought to talk about it like this. I would never use the word punishment. For that young man that was texting me that day, don't use the word punishment. God is not punishing you with losing your house, losing your job, and health issues. It's not punishment. Do you know there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus? Romans 8, 1, we memorized that during Rooted. If there's no condemnation, if Thessalonians says uh, there's no wrath for us, then If I sin and say God is punishing me, I'm acting as if Jesus didn't die for me in my sins, right? If Jesus died for my sins, how can God punish me for them when he punished Jesus for them? I mean, that's just logic. So I dare not accuse God of punishing me for my sins when there's no condemnation for me. He's not punishing you. And if you have a disability, he's not punishing you. He's not. It's not biblical. Does he discipline us? Yes. Is discipline related to our sin? Yes. Do we need to repent of our sin? Yes. That was last week. That was last week's message. Um, Okay. So, lest I not say this and make it very clear... Um, You you know, if fathers pass their sin down to their kids and kids can carry it on and, 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 you know, I'm I'm speaking like unsaved kids, uh, unsaved people do receive wrath from the Lord. If that really does happen, what's the solution? If you look at your life and say, I'm carrying on the sin of my parents. I'm doing what they did. Something has been passed down. What's the solution? Repentance. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance breaks the cycle, it breaks the cycle of sin. That's why it says God shows His love to a thousand generations of those that love Him. It's just like, yeah, you know what? Sin gets passed down, third and fourth generation, but the ones that love God and obey Him, it's a thousand generations. When you repent, it's a thousand generations. It's wide and expansive, and I want that for my kids. And I know you want it for your kids. I was talking to God this morning, telling Him I wasn't ready to preach this. (laughs) Um, But I I think uh, what what I heard Him say this morning is, If there are people here that feel like they're carrying on the sins of their parents and they want to repent and pray, let's do that this morning. Let's do it. So if that's you and you would like me to anoint you with oil, I'd invite the other elders in the church to get together and we'll just go over in the library over here after the service is over. We'll anoint you, pray for you, and let's have you pray a prayer of confession and repent. And let's break this thing that you've seen passed down in your family. Let's break it. Repentance breaks the cycle. So then Jesus wants to talk a little bit in John 9 about what this, what this whole thing means spiritually speaking. So he heals the guy. heals him, you know, but, but that's coming actually. I'm jumping ahead now. But he says, um, verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happens so the work of God might be displayed in his life as long as its day We must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So this whole thing is supposed to show how Jesus is the light of the world. If you remember me preaching on John 3.16 last month, we talked about how in the book of John he loves talking about light. Why does John love talking about light so much? Um, The first words God says in the Bible, right? Let there be light. It's God's creative act. And I'm thinking for John, he's thinking, you know how God created the earth and he said, let there be light? Now God is recreating people. John 3.16, they're born again. Uh, It's light. Light is life. When you have light in your life, you know how to act. You know how to obey. You know who God is. You know how much he loves you. That's light. Okay? Jesus, I'm the light of the world. Now, when it gets dark, there's not light. You can't work. And and I'm pretty sure Jesus is referring to the fact like, I'm going to die on the cross for people's sins. It's going to be dark. And I I can't do works of healing in that moment. I'm on the cross. Darkness is coming. People are getting more antagonistic towards Christ. Darkness. But for now, the light's here. Let's do this. Let's heal this person. He's the light of the world. So the healing, uh, I'd summarize it like this, the healing then summarizes Jesus' identity and his mission. It, it shows who Jesus is, and it shows what his mission is, to be light to people, to have them walk into light. I won't repeat myself too much, but if that light thing is of interest to you, I do recommend John 3.16 from last month, um, we talked more about light. So then he makes some mud, and... Uh, He spits on the ground, makes some mud, and puts it on the guy's eyes. Now you know Jesus can just say, "You can see," and the guy could see, right? Or he could say, "Everybody can see," and everybody could see. You know, he's Jesus; he could do that. But he spits on the ground and makes some mud. Of course, the Bible doesn't tell us why he does that. Some people think because of the light thing and the creation of the world thing that maybe this is like, you know, forming Adam out of the dust of the ground. That God is recreating this man's sight. That's kind of cool. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's just kind of cool to think about. God is recreating something. Um, it might just be that he put the mud on his eyes just to, as a reminder that I did this to you. Now you've got to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which kind of required some faith. You can't see yet. You've got to walk to this pool, wash your eyes. And so the mud was kind of a reminder that I've got to do that. Jesus touched me. He He literally touched my eyes with this mud. A compassionate touch of Christ. I I don't know, but that's what Jesus did. And then he could see. And then he could see. Let me say this. I know from the Bible that God wants to use disability to his glory. I know that the unborn child, even if we know that child will be born with disability, that child is worthwhile to God. And God wants to bring glory through that child. I know as a church we need to give support to people who are raising kids with disabilities. Um, That's where we need to be as a church. I know we need to celebrate life of all kinds. And I know we need to keep inviting people to walk into the light. To walk into the light of Christ. So if that's you, you're invited to say, Jesus, I've been in darkness. I've been sinning. I've been messing up. But now I confess my sin to you. I want to walk into your light. I don't want to be blind anymore. I want to see. And the promise is he will heal you. Worship team, would you come up? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I pray for those that have felt beaten up. Maybe beaten up even by the church. Sometimes we can say the harshest things when people are suffering. And try to somehow accuse them, like in Job, of sinning. Lord, help us be careful not to make those kind of connections. But at the same time, Lord, give us wisdom that when we do sin and you discipline us as a loving Father, help us make those connections so that we can repent and live a holy life. I pray for those right now that see the mark of their parents on their life. And it scares them. And they just want to be done with that sin that's been passed down. And the consequences that have been passed down. Oh God, I pray that some might be free of that today. That you'd shine your miraculous, marvelous light into their life and free them. I pray for those that are blind this morning and don't know you personally. That they might see. I think about the blind man later in the story who comes back and sees you, sees Jesus for the first time, thinking of one of his first sighted moments in his life was to see your face. And how wonderful that would be to see the light of the sun and see the light of the world all on the same day. What a miracle. What a Savior you are. May we rejoice and celebrate your wonderful light in our life. May we celebrate the fact that you've enabled us to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.